everyone, and welcome to the Spacebar Podcast. I'm P. Robert Shaw, and on this week's episode, uh, we're revisiting the topic of headless, um, and we're going to be debating it whether it's still just a buzzword or actually there's some substance behind what it, what it is now. Um, obviously, it's been around for a number of years, uh, and it's been talked about on podcasts like this, um, but we're going to revisit it again today and kind of hopefully sort of close it off and end the debate about what headless actually is. Um, and to discuss this, I'm joined by somebody who in some circles has been described as the second best Robert Shaw at Space 48, but I'm not so sure. Anyway, welcome along, Tom. Great to have you on. Good to be back. Uh, in front of me, Tom Robert Shaw is, uh, what's your official job title now at the Space 48? Innovation Director. Basically, you just play about making making apps all day, right? Yeah, that's it. Pretty much so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Tom's uh, been with the business for a number of years and now kind of uh, focuses pure time on building apps with big commerce. So um, yeah, it's great to have you on. Um, so go on, let's get into this then. Um, this isn't the first podcast we've ever done about Headless, and it won't be the, it won't hope, well, I hope it's the last one, uh, but who knows. But yeah, frankly, I'm kind of getting bored of hearing about Headless now. Uh, it has been around the e-commerce space for a long time. Um, but for, again, for a while, it was just, for me, Headless was just kind of like a, a word. Uh, no, nobody really knew what it meant. It was kind of like this IT nerd, kind of like a private club. Oh, I'm going to talk about Headless, so it makes me sound really clever. So I kind of want to just bring it back to where, Headless, where we are with Headless today, how it's kind of moved on over the last kind of years. And so, Tom, I guess for you, what does headless mean to you? Obviously, again, you've been around the space for quite a while, but where we are right now, what, what is headless for you? Yeah, and I, I'd probably start off by saying I, I share some of those feelings. I think there's been, like any trend, there's an awful lot of uh, buzz around the term, um, and it can be so confusing for, for people, particularly if you're you're not in the weeds with the, the technical side of things and what it means from a system architecture point of view, which is essentially what we're talking about here. Um, for a long time, headless was really referring to single page applications. Um, so say building your site with React and Vue and having a JavaScript application rather than um, using say what the e-commerce platform provides out the box. So you know a Shopify theme or a BigCommerce theme or a Magento theme. Um, whereas kind of now we're seeing the headless term being referred to not just about the e-commerce platform or just about the kind of the front end, but we're talking about headless, you know, any software that you use could be headless so your cms or kind of your review system like what it essentially means is that you're communicating all of these third-party services via api and you're deciding how the html css and javascript um, is delivered at the end of the day so for me headless is it's like a delivery mechanism for that that product's features and i think why it's got so confusing of of late is um, because it's been sort of conflated with single page applications you could be using, say, your, your big commerce theme kind of straight out of the box, but using your uh, CMS in like a headless fashion. Headless being, you know, it's, it's the, your CMS is not the one delivering the HTML and CSS. You've probably got, you know, I can certainly think back to one project where we use Contentful um, in a headless manner so that it didn't deliver the content, but we used its APIs to push content into BigCommerce's kind of understanding um, of content and page builder um, so that, you're still using a BigCommerce theme, but your content comes from from elsewhere. So uh, there's a little bit around the houses, but I think that's why I think there's a lot of confusion about, the, like you say, different terms. And for me, headless is is more about saying that um, when you're looking at all these different products, it's it's API first, uh, and I'm choosing to engage with that product on API level rather than say kind of the the app um, uh, or something like that. Yeah, the headless CMS thing is interesting because you see a lot of headless. There's a load of headless CMSs on the market now. And then I guess a lot of I guess uh, retailers or people sort of invest in this tech get a bit confused themselves around, okay, I'm getting headless CMS, I'm headless, that's what I'm doing. And um, I hate to use the word phrase full headless, but it seems to be like there's a, you can have a headless CMS, but then not still have the, the rest of the architecture being like headless, as you mentioned, like you still use a like BigCommerce's sort of stencil theme to implement it. So yeah. what... 
if, if a customer's looking at Headless CMS, that's okay to implement that in that particular way and with become a stencil. But what if someone says the word full headless, what what do they mean by that? What what is that? Well, I, I would say that that's probably a, a new term to, to me this week. It's one that I've only just come across. But I think in that sense, I, my impression is that people are talking about a single page application. Okay. You're, you're, you're owning like the front end completely. You're not um, piggybacking on any other any person's product like, you know, the, the CMS or the e-commerce platform. In, in, in most cases, you're not using their front end. Um, you're building yourself and then choosing a set of, of headless products for e-commerce and for, for CMS. So that's that's how I see it. And I think that's why we've got to this place where we almost need need another term um, <laughs> um, because of the, the of this confusion. So there are some other terms, again, you hear when you, when you speak about headless, there's lots of other terms you hear abandoned about. There's microservices, composable commerce seems to be a new kind of, again, buzzy phrase that's kind of come up recently, which is trying to seem to replace headless. There's PWAs, you talked about S- mm. SPAs before, uh, or single-page applications. So can we just break some of those down a little bit? So let's say, 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 let's say microservices, sort of composable commerce, and then maybe in terms of how they all kind of link to headless and, and maybe how they are they different yeah sure and um, one one more point if i if i may on the yeah. kind of a headless comment as well the with bitcommerce i'm you know obviously familiar with that that um, ecosystem very well and they have um a wordpress plugin to, to like add commerce capabilities to wordpress and they try and do things the wordpress way you know everything is a post or a page type um and that in a sense is you know you You've got your CMS platform and you're adding commerce to it in a headless manner. So in that sense, it is a your headless commerce, just not in sort of maybe the the trendy kind of JavaScript way. It's still right, okay. kind of with, with with WordPress. But um, moving on to yeah, your other other question in terms of microservices. Again, it's like a system architecture approach where perhaps in the days where you were working on on premise, whether it be open source or other, otherwise, everything went out. All of your code changes went out in sort of one one go one when you do a deployment you're changing everything it's your entire website um and so any customizations any integrations with third parties even if you change one thing you know it's a monolith there's a risk that something else breaks because you've done a deployment um with microservices your the idea is that you're you're splitting things up into into separate like packages um so they're deployed separately they might even be hosted separately um so there's far um less risk that when you make a change you're going to affect something else mm-hmm. um, and this has been particularly popular because of sas you can't change the core it's not like magento where you add an extension um and you know now i have this feature um you know you've got the app marketplace which is you know these features that you add in if you add a review app is hosted completely separately to, to shopify yeah. in most instances or BigCommerce in most instances um and so they are little services that live and provide. And when there's downtime or when they do a deployment, it's like completely separate. You know, it's not going to impact your core commerce journey, which I think is one of the like the main benefits that we see. And certainly yeah. for myself working in kind of the big commerce app space um, over the last 18 months, I've had a lot of experience of it's more than just providing a product. You are providing a service with with SaaS. So I have to worry about kind of the uptime of that particular service. Or if it goes down, then people lose a certain feature. But, you know, from comparing it to the the olden days, if I may, um, you know, it, it feels uh, a lot less uh, lower risk. And so that's for me. I don't know if that makes sense to you. That's kind of how I yeah. uh, consider microservices. I'm sure we could go into more technical detail. But I think that's kind of the, the easiest, level, yeah. easiest way to explain it. And then composable commerce, again, I think is a term that, it's, it's partly a kind of a, a marketing term, but um, kind of where I've seen it and what it means to me is it sort of like the taking the headless approach. So you might be building your kind of your headless front end and pulling in like the best of breed commerce or best of breed CMS platform um, and sort of 
broadening that idea out to every third party that you work with um, and everything you engage with is more on an API level with a custom integration rather than an app. Um, with the idea being that because you are composing it yourself, mm. um, so it doesn't necessarily mean it's you know plug and play or quicker, but you know you've got full control over everything. And the idea of progressively, as we you know more and more products have a full set of capabilities available via the API, um, you can replace one piece of kind of your IT infrastructure um, with from one product to another mm, yeah. without it affecting everything everything else. And the idea that you can yeah kind of lay out a map of everything that you want uh, and, and pick and choose uh, like like pick and mix um i think that's the, that's what it means to me yeah it's something i mean i had to when i first started hearing about it's like what how is this different to headless what is actually what's actually talking about again it's for me it was that kind of thing it, it's taking out the best of breed technologies and and, and basically like you swap one in out so let's say you, you get bored with your search and merch provider example idea is you've got to easily swap it out for another one that's the composable element because you can and then then you've got like orchestration layers that sit inside so it, there's there's so many other terms like pwa which is one we kind of just touched on I, I mentioned a minute ago again that's another term whenever we um tweet to a lot of customers now who are thinking about headless oh we need a pwa okay well what's your understanding of pwa oh well it's gonna make our site faster Okay, well, it, it's, you start hearing more and more these things, and there's, I think a lot of um, the, the, these buzzwords. I think, and you've got like um, I don't know, IT people or you know heads of e-commerce that maybe want to make a name for themselves. Like we think, oh, we need to go a headless build, we need to do a PWA, but actually, do you really need to do that? So PWA is another one that that we often come across now. How again? How how for you does that differ to like you know SPA or single page application? Yeah, for me, um, like I been experimenting with like PWAs for quite a few years now when they were like first announced and like on their simplest of like levels it's just a like from a technology perspective it's a service worker where you might be able to add things like offline support and push notifications and background workers and things like that like for the most part that's what it means to be a like progressive web app um that being said, many people will kind of gain that kind of functionality if they're building a single page application because it's sort of like, you know, it's a library, they get it very quickly for free. Um, but that's not to say that you couldn't add that kind of capability to any like platform. And certainly, mm -hmm. you know, we've we've added that kind of functionality to, um, you know, Magento themes before with extensions and plugins. So, you know, it's, it's and I think it's also fair to say that it's not, it's not necessarily had as direct uh, an impact as perhaps we we thought, mm. or at least not to date, and partly because of like you know browser support and um, yeah, particularly Apple's support of that that kind of those kind of APIs in in the browser. Although I, I think I think they're like slowly catching up. Um, so like, I'm, I'm with you there. I think there's there's always a lot of fear around um, kind of some of the new terms, like fear of like being left behind mm. or fear of um, you know making a decision that you're, you know you're going to be stuck with for, for two to two years. So I certainly appreciate people's like desire to have this thing whether or not it's headless or microservices or you know because yeah yeah the, the skeptical 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 <laughs> me, uh, view is that um you know they're doing it because you know from a cv perspective but i i think i'll give them the benefit of the doubt of it's just just so much there's so much out there um telling them that they should kind of be mm -hmm. considering these things um and you know they want to do the best for their business it's understandable they will have um, um a fear over you know what should my decision be yeah it I can see that. I guess there's a lot of, I guess, it's sometimes internal pressures as well to kind of like, you've got to try and deliver the best 
possible experience. If you, if you read uh, read the web or you go and like, okay, what's going to do me the most, the fastest performance, what platform, you'll see articles about PWA and, and headless and stuff like that. So I think you get this mindset, okay, we have to have that now. And especially if you've got people like, you know, the CTO involved in, in a decision, like again, they've probably got this preconceived idea that like we have to be at the forefront or the bleeding edge of technology actually well. Does your, does your business actually need this or, you know, better off with like just an out-of-the-box Shopify site or whatever? I guess that's where maybe working with an agency or a third-party consultant can actually bring you back down to earth and actually, well, go through a discovery session of what you actually need. I think that's where, I guess, agencies like us and, and other third-party consultants can, can really help. I guess e-commerce managers who just generally aren't sure. And, you know, as we you know, we run a lot of discovery sessions about okay, what is the best architecture, what is the best, you know, we class ourselves agnostic, I suppose, and we try to get to the bottom, okay, what is best for your business? Mm. When I hear just this sell you a fancy PWA or a headless solution just for the sake of it, um, for us, we, you know, they've got to be the best out from the customer. Like you said, like something that's sustainable and so we can work with on a longer term basis without, you know, sinking a load of cash into it. Yeah, um, and, you, and you, you know, you pull up like SEO and speed there. I think, you know, every e-commerce manager or head of e-com that goes into a, a new project, like those are some of their biggest concerns. And I think like this, you know, the scary truth is that there's no technology decision that is going to guarantee you either one of those, um, headless or, or otherwise. Um, so yeah, not, not, none of those come for free, unfortunately. We'll, we'll dig into that and I'll be actually yeah. want to talk to you a bit about performance and, and speak and SEO specifically. But um, we kind of, I guess we kind of covered it from our minds what I guess what headless is and some of the other terms as well. So in terms of like um, sites or retailers out there at the moment that you're aware of that have essentially successfully launched a headless headless site, are you aware of any? Uh, have you seen any of it just in terms of, you know, reading on the ecosystem? Like, what have you seen that some, someone that's done this really well? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think first to say is that I think with this kind of technology, hopefully it's, you know, when it when it's done well, you, you it's invisible to you as the consumer. So I'm sure I've, I've browsed on plenty of sites I didn't realize were headless. But um, I think two that I'd probably call out, I've certainly been kind of following um, Allbirds because um, Shopify have their like hydrogen, um, like alternative, um, like a single page application uh, approach. And so I understand Allbirds as being sort of an early adopter of that and sort of partnered with Shopify on, on that launch. And the, yeah, the site is, is really good. Um, and that's been impressive. Um, so that's one I would, would call out and I'm kind of monitoring uh, to see particularly from a you know product perspective of um as hydrogen sort of starts to kind of see see daylight what does it mean for mean for merchants um but the other one that i quite liked was uh, nokia um that it was a big commerce uh, case yeah. study um i think for me there it's because it wasn't about being flashy it was more like headless was a tool for a, a job um in that situation as i understand it they you know they already had a site um it's for a particular region that's already managed by a certain like cms platform you know, they had an internal team that then were able to add commerce capabilities through that by, um, you know, headless approach using BigCommerce's APIs. Mm. And so it felt like, you know, that felt like, you know, you can see that situation, got pre-existing product, it makes perfect sense. So I like that because it wasn't quite so, you know, flashy or, or trying to be trendy. It was more like, you know, we've, we've got a job to do. Uh, we've got some business goals. This is the most practical route to a solution. Um, and so that one I um, I was really impressed by as well. Uh, and I, you know, I'm sure you hear it plenty of times, but it was a project that was quite uh, quick to deliver as kind of the impression I got as well. And by a team that weren't familiar with with BigCommerce, the, the platform, which I think is important, you know, with any sort of e-commerce platform, particularly as we go um, kind of more and more headless um, using APIs, you want Ideally, you want anybody to be able to use your product just by reading mm. the documentation, not have to be, you know, a five years certified um, e-commerce platform engineer, uh, and anybody should be able to pick it up. It's just another, just another product, like just another API to them. Yeah, I mean, I, headless to me, when you start talking about headless, um, 
I always think, right, you need some really technical, really technical team to kind of work on that, whether it's an agency or an internal dev team. So are you saying that really that in your vision that your headless as a, you know, should be something that really internal teams can just pick up and run with? Um, I do agree with you that I think it is, it is another skill set. Um, and I think it's going to be difficult for, you know, people like ourselves at agencies, but um, merchants as well, the development skill set, you know, when you're working with a Shopify theme or a big commerce theme, um, even like compared to a, a Magento theming, just kind of as our, as three that we work with most regularly, um, the barrier to entry is is pretty low with that. You mm. need to know roughly like how Shopify and BigCommerce do themes, but ultimately you really just need to know HTML and, and, and CSS and you can get up and running really quickly, which is, is great not only for agencies, but also people, you know, just managing the store them, themselves, yeah. the plenty of people that have got, like they say, in-house dev team or, um, you know, dev that works in-house. Um, the challenge with with headless is that there's a much greater demand on your like JavaScript knowledge as well as you know still having the HTML and CSS skills. Um, so to me, there's there is a greater barrier to entry that I think is probably what prohibits kind of headless as an approach becoming standardized. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's you know one of the reasons why some of the e-commerce platforms have have avoided it for so long because they've got so many people that um, kind of that modify their, their own sites and get things done um, day to day by just being able to make a change them, themselves. And if suddenly you need to know React um, you, you, or Vue, <laughs> you've, you've suddenly narrowed your, your market quite substantially. So I think it, it's a challenge for everyone, um, but I think that's that's kind of how I see it right now. Okay. What, we talked about examples of sites and we've talked about sort of three sort of platforms. So we talked about Magento, sort of Shopify and BigCommerce. Actually, one of the, my favorite sites, which I believe is headless, which is actually on commerce tools, uh, is the Lego site, um, lego.com. Like I'm a huge, anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge fan of Lego. I've got tons of sets in my house. And I spend probably one that site at least once a week. Um, and I didn't necessarily realize that was headless until I actually obviously been in the ecosystem and obviously read that they sort of Simon Commerce uh, tools and whatever. But when you actually look at it, now I know that in hindsight, okay, it's not obvious to the average, you know, I guess if you didn't know it's headless, you wouldn't know. But because like, I, now I know when you look at the way that site works, it's, it's fairly quick. The search is brilliant on it, for example. I know they use Constructor as, as, a, as a search on that site. Um, but also the way that they've integrated content into that commerce journey is incredible. I urge anybody who wants, who's thinking about kind of looking at a site and getting some content onto your group of product pages and, and, and enriching content and selling the story, go and look at lego.com and look at some of their product pages. The way that they do product launches and that supplementary product information you get is actually incredible. Now, a lot of it comes down to design and the marketing team are putting the creative together, but I feel like the platform and the way they've chosen to implement that using the CMS has enabled them to, the, the sort of creative to bring that to life on the front end in a really, really slick way. And I, it's, uh, again, it's a site that I, I spend a lot of time on, but yeah, any e-commerce managers looking for inspiration around kind of like, what should you build? If you want to go and rip off a site, go and rip off the Lego site. It's honestly, it's, it's, it's amazing. they've done a really, really good, I'm not saying that because I'm a fan of Lego, but generally the site is really, really good. And um, again, I didn't know, know it was headless until obviously I saw the, 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 the article about it going, um, but it, I think it shows you potentially what you can do with Headless. And um, yeah, they've got they've got a great text out there. So yeah, that's one for me. Um, so we discussed a couple of examples, but um, I guess you kind of touched on a little bit, but I, I like to explore the reasons why people will go down the Headless route. Um, we talked about some, some people potentially do it because it's, you know, it's a CV building thing or whatever, but what sort of set of circumstances would lead a business to go down. Like you touched on Nokia, which they, again, they mm. seem like a really good business case for doing it. But generally, like, what are some of the core reasons that a business might go down the headless route? 
Yeah, um, I think we keep having to call out our, our biases here. Like, uh, and I do try and keep an open mind with headless. It's just it's so so often we see headless being used for the wrong reason. And I think why that's painful to us is that we, we see uh, perhaps merchants that regret the decision because they didn't quite know what they were getting themselves in for. Um, so I think, you know, if you've got a, a technology knowledge in-house, whether it's yourself or someone else on the team um, that is equipped to kind of make that decision because you are making like a, a software decision, a system architecture decision. So you want to be empowered to be able to make that so that you know the the side effects of it. So, you know, headless means you have more control. You can break out of the, um, the sort of maybe more templated experience of your e-commerce platform. And so for some brands, you know, maybe either more creative brands or larger brands where there's just like, there's just a greater expectation about kind of the experience that they would deliver. Mm. I can certainly see why you would then choose headless and it's worth the extra investment. I think that's something to call out as well is that, you know, because you're not using, um, you know, the, the platform's capabilities for providing a site, um, you're doing more more yourself, um, kind of even putting the skill sets to side for one second, as we discussed earlier. So I think it's you know, knowing that you're taking on kind of a, a larger job, knowing that it's going to be more complex, and it's probably fair to say that you're still going to be, you know, relatively speaking, the bleeding edge in the world of like e-commerce, at least, which is always a few years behind in terms of like generic sort of web development principles and approaches. So I think you do need to, you know, know what you're you're going in, uh, getting yourself into. Um, but yeah, for me, it's it's more about those those large businesses that want kind of the creative freedom and control. Um, but particularly if you are looking at these sort of best of breed tools and and saying you know you want your best of breed CMS and you want to kind of benefit from all of its features, so you know like scheduling and things like that. Like <laughs> it feels like um, scheduling should be sort oh, of gosh. the standard feature in uh, CMS. Yeah. But um, you know we've we've struggled for <laughs> more than a decade, and e-commerce is normally pretty poor in that that sense. So. I think that would be a very good reason. You know, if you've got that high bar that we need to be able to, um, you know, divide responsibilities around managing this this site between different products, between different teams and people, um, and have workflows, you can certainly see why you would then choose a headless route for for some of those sort of business goals. And I think that's what I would call out as just what problem are you solving? Mm. Like when when you're choosing headless um, uh, and making sure that you're clear around that, so you're you know you know that headless is then it is the solution. It is going to solve what you're trying. To solve, um, and all of your like partners and stakeholders know kind of what the the goals are for this project and and why you've you've chosen what you've chosen. Um, that's kind of where I sit with it right now, and certainly was speaking more just a little bit more on the frustrations of like CMS, and it feels like a perennial like problem. Um, I kind of hope that having been, having been in the industry ten years now, I kind of hope that in the next ten years, will um, this approach may mature sufficiently that we can actually. We're maybe actually looking at CMS first, um, mm -hmm. and the site being powered by CMS, because really that's kind of what the, you know, the the merchandising team want and what the content like team want to be able to do. They just want to manage their site yeah. easily, um, and it feels like most e-commerce platforms do a quite poor job on the on the CMS side. So, as e-com um, starts to be broken up more into individual features, individual partners, and e-com platforms themselves are more API driven. Um, you can certainly see where we'd actually might end up in a position and in, I don't think this is next year, but you know, a man can dream that we would be in a point where we actually get to choose like a best of breed CMS. Um, and then we just, you know, add a way of showing products and we add a way of the checkout process of doing, um, adding to cart because it feels like, you know, those are very clear lines to draw from a, from an API perspective, um, so that we don't have to 
you know, learn the econ platform's way of doing a front end or doing CMS. So it feels like perhaps we can invert this and go the, go the other way around. It, it feels like we're going a bit back in time though, because obviously WordPress for years was like the go-to CMS. If you wanted to build a blog or whatever, WordPress was quite a nice way. It was nice to give different themes you could choose from. You could drag out content. So it feels like, but then people then wanted to put comment, okay, well, I want to start selling stuff on my, my blog. So it's like, okay, what can I use as a plugin to start selling? I'm still going to saying WordPress and CMS. And you touched on WordPress before mm. with BigCommerce. And, and it feels like we're kind of going that kind of full. So now it's like, we need to focus on the CMS. But I need a great CMS to help me deliver great content. Now it's some way of getting product on. It sounds like sort of a similar way. And obviously, um, it makes sometimes makes me wonder as well. Like, you know, Shopify, people go to Shopify. For example, as a, as a platform, because like it's an easy use platform, it's great commerce, commerce features, it empowers you know merchants to do their jobs. Basically, you're just selling product, right? And that's what Shopify is there for. But but then you start to look, well, I'm going to use Shopify, but then I'm going to go headless because I'm going to. It doesn't do exactly what I need. It seems like we've got to this point now where the e-commerce platform does quite a good job of selling stuff, but actually can't do the rest of the stuff very well. And you kind of touched on it at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. it's, it's an e-commerce platform. It's not a CMS. So maybe you're right. Maybe we will see that. And um, you know, the amount of, again, headless CMSs that are on the market now that kind of do that really well, but it may be, yeah, there's need, if we get an easy way to then turn the commerce element on or, you know, put a Shopify checkout on the end of it or whatever, that seems to be potentially the way that this could end up going for, for, a, lot, for a lot of merchants anyway that don't need, they want to produce great content and merchandise the site. Um, yeah, I was... I, I feel like we're going to go full circle with this at some point. I think you're probably right. Yeah, yeah. If, if you've been around in technology and IT long enough, you know, the, 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 there's the cycles and we, we go back around. So I'm sure at some point, even SaaS will kind of go uh, out of fashion again um, because people will, will tend back to wanting more control. But it does, certainly yeah. this this cycle of, of SaaS feels like it's um, given just so much flexibility that it's yeah definitely good, good enough. It was funny because like years ago, um, back when I was sort of IT and e-commerce, it was like, having lots of disparate systems was a pain in the backside to manage. And everyone's like, oh no, we need one single platform. We need an ERP that's going to do everything. And it's like, you know, even ERP, remember ERP at one point was even doing e-commerce, like NetSuite obviously launched their kind of e-commerce platform, SCA, I think it's called. So it's like, it was back when I was kind of, like, this is going back maybe five, 10 years ago, having all these deaf different systems was actually not, uh, no one wanted to do that anymore. Obviously. But now again, we've, we've gone back to like, well, actually no, we need best of breed again. We're going to split everything <laughs> out because one platform can't do everything. I kind of, I kind of agree with a little bit of that, but it just, yeah, it's, you know, in 10 years, 15 years time, we're saying, okay, let's go back to a single platform again. That's the way we end up going. Yeah. No, 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 I think we're, you can probably make um, parallels with our, our TV bundling and unbundling uh, cycles as, as well. Where it's like, yeah, I want, I want to choose what I want, but then you realize that, you know, having, the choice is is tiring and takes time um and you need to be educated to make the choice so sometimes you do want like i just want the decision made for me i want to be guided um um so so yeah it's it's tricky um i just want to we talked about this a little bit earlier on um we don't get the you've talked about the reasons for going down the headless route and one of the things we always get when i waste a question emerge on why are you looking at headless Nine times out of ten, oh, it's going to make up like, our performance. Our performance on our existing site is not very good. By performance, I mean speed, page speed. Um, so I kind of want to either dispel the myth or confirm that it's true that going down the headless route, again, full headless. Um, sorry to say it again. We're going to play headless bingo today. Uh, going down the headless route actually gives you that increase in performance that everyone kind of really searches for. Um, what, what's your thoughts around that? Is, there, is that true? Is it, is it, does, it, does it depend? <laughs> yeah, it always depends, yeah, doesn't it? Course, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, PHP doesn't come for free with Headless. So I think it's just, you know, it's a different, you've got different constraints, different um, scenario where 
I can appreciate depending on where you're coming from. So if you're coming from maybe a more like, uh, you know, we, we talk about Magento a lot where, which is not exactly renowned for its its page speed performances either. Um, uh, and I really enjoyed the, your episode about like when website builds go wrong with, with Rob, um, which I'd recommend. And he had some like really good points um, and has, sounds like he's someone that's got good experiences with, <laughs> with going this route um, on projects. So that's always nice to hear. Um, so I think... I think it, it can be an improvement. And certainly if you know your the starting position is pretty poor, then headless can be good. But I think I've heard enough um, uh, examples of headless projects where performance doesn't come for free. It's just it's just different. So I can see how the page navigations, once your site has loaded, you could, they are it feels much more interactive, much more snappy because it's got less to do. It's not an entire page reload. So that makes a lot of sense. But most of the time when we're kind of doing page speed scores, we're talking about like the initial page load. Yeah. And, you know, that's still so important for e-commerce because, you know, if you if you don't get that right and it's not quick enough, then you've lost any chance of gaining that customer. So that's still so critical in the experience and the downside of full headless or single page applications today, at least, is that quite often, you know, the default is there's still quite a lot of JavaScript um, to ship as part of that. You know, it's an application mm -hmm. now, not just a web page. Um, and so to boot your application, there's all this JavaScript to download to run. And so there is still a delay that affects the page feed scores, if or more importantly, affects the, the customer experience. And like I say, it doesn't it doesn't come for free. Like it's then a it's a job like on any project, whether headless or otherwise, it's a job to then kind of have a performance budget or yeah. spend time going through figuring out, okay, well, this was fast once, why isn't it anymore? What have we added um, that is kind of negatively affecting it? What time do we need to spend to to optimize it? So I still feel like like any project, there's a, as a job to be done to to optimize and because most of the time we're just focused you know particularly on builds or maintenance you're you're looking at adding a certain feature or achieving a certain design and then you know refactoring it afterwards to make sure it's then performant is is sometimes skipped so i think yeah it's not not something that comes to free still um i personally wouldn't you know if i want a faster site I wouldn't like jump to headless mm. it's probably not you know your problem most of the time yeah. it's you know the third parties that you're you're using anyway once you've added to the page so you know it's not not to say that developers can't kind of accidentally build things in an unperformant way on in the theme and in the design implementation but most of the time it's kind of all the third party calls um and that seems to be confirmed by like researchers as, as well there's um i worked on a project called the web almanac which looks at you know millions of websites to see you know e-commerce and otherwise to see how they're how they're built and how they perform um um, and yeah, it's, it's certainly not guaranteed that um, just because you've you've gone headless, it, it makes it faster. So wait, headless isn't a silver bullet performance. I'm not just going to get 99 <laughs> out of 100 page speed scores now. Yeah. I, I wonder how many businesses have gone down that route of headless, invested a lot of cash in it, only to realize actually performance is no better than it was before. Maybe it's not, not it wasn't worth it. I, I wonder how many projects have gone down that route because I'm the same as you. Like if somebody comes to us um, about, oh, you know, I'm going to do a headless performance, actually, well, look at the existing site you've got. Part of the reason it's performing like it is not particularly great is because you've got this third party. And like we're advocates of third parties. We always believe that third parties can support the commerce journey, right? But when you're layering on so many of them, it's like, well, you need to start looking at there. Like that's one of the reasons or because you've uploaded a 25 meg banner to the homepage, like start looking at those things first before you start going and start investing however much it must be will be in a headless build. So yeah, I'm very much with you on that. Um, I guess the other thing I want to get to talk about in this is that, um, we talked about before, you know the benefits of going down the headless route or why and why people might do it um but what can someone expect from like a headless say, project implementation they go on so um 
for me, obviously, one's cost. We kind of just talked about it. We know that um, if somebody mentions headless to our sales guys, they're like, ooh, get the calculator out, working out how much it's going to go. Well, you know, um, and it's fair. Even sort of, you know, developers as well can, to a certain extent, can kind of like look at it and think, oh, you're headless, right? Well, but it's going to add an extra, you know, 20, 30%, 40, 50% onto the budget. Like, so apart from cost, what, in terms of like project timeline and, and, and uh, I guess, getting one built, like what, and then kind of workflow, and what do you kind of see? is like being involved in a headless project versus say a standard kind of e-commerce Shopify project like what what would that kind of project implementation look like yeah I think actually I think you kind of called it out there in terms of standard and I think that's the biggest thing with headless is that it's still not it's still not standardized and by definition you're you're deciding how you want to build your site um and so there's a lot more um decisions to be to be made from a technology perspective and otherwise um whereas some of the benefits of working with a platform is that some constraints are good <laughs> because it means mm -hmm. you don't have to make decisions you can work with with what you've got and, and focus your kind of energies elsewhere um so i certainly think that um a headless project is more likely to kind of need greater expertise from like uh, and greater attention from everybody that's in, involved um because it's still not like common for us to to work on those kind of projects and there's going to be surprises along the way the things that we're, we're just not used to we haven't you know a matter of um uh projects we've done in sort of quote unquote the old approach um we we know what to expect um there's going to be more eyes on a, a headless project to to make sure that we we minimize risk yeah. um, essentially and um so um but yeah, to, to talk on like yeah, timelines or, or costs, I think yeah, like every project is is different. But I think the fact that you're throwing, you know, the Shopify way of doing things or the big commerce way of doing things out of um, out the window and starting from scratch, then clearly you've got you've got more work to do um, because you're choosing best of breed. Therefore, um, and integrating them, you're probably you know losing access somewhat to to the app stores. Um, mm. You know, they commonly would still be able to if you know if you've got a you know, product recommendation or a PIM, um, their app would still do the background tasks of like uh, syncing catalog and orders and what thing needs to be done there. But anything from the front end perspective, you then need to do that again. Um, so then like we talked about in terms of knowing the, the commerce platform and its APIs, you then like your developers need to become Nosto API experts <laughs> and like, you API experts or, or what have you. So I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, things that they can then get thrown up of um and surprises like potential for surprises um, along the way when you're kind of doing everything yourself uh, in essence and so i think that's i think that's probably my main fear and that however much sort of risk mitigation you do there's still going to be like the unknown unknowns afterwards you, you kind of touched on another point there that i wanted to ask you about which is in terms of going down the headless route is this for businesses that have got huge like internal dev teams because they get some of the customers we've worked and talked about headless they've got internal dev is is headless we, we did touch on this earlier on a little bit but is headless really something that you have to you have you have to have your own internal team for can it be outsourced to an agency um like i know for example like again commerce tools we talked about before the lego site that for me has always been seen as like a very if you're a business wanting to implement commerce tools you have to have some kind of internal dev or tech resource to kind of work with it is there still a case for an agency to be involved in a full, like a full headless build and on an ongoing basis, or is it something that really the business, the retail would end up bringing in house? Is that is that is that a thing? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I think it's more correlation than like causation in the sense that the, we said earlier about the larger brands, the brands that want to be perhaps kind of on the bleeding edge or they want more like creative freedom, you know, um, and can pay for it. Um, and it's you know it's it's that important to them. 
then it makes sense um, that they would then have the capabilities to put their in-house team, or at least, you know, rather than like going straight to an agency, being able to do some experimentation themselves. Like, you know, perhaps are on a, you know, IBM web, web sphere and they, they want to go this route, but they, they need to do a little bit of a prototyping exercise. Um, and so the, the developers they already have um, can kind of experiment with new technologies and just uh, flesh out the idea. Mm. And so you can see how that would then, you know, uh, develop into something where they might have their own internal team that can that can manage it. But I think, like anything, it, you know, it's something that agency can can certainly do. Um, uh, whether that be like in in tandem with your your team, or you know, completely like passing it over once you know you've decided this is the route that mm-hmm. that you want to go. I don't think you know, I don't think that that skill set is you know reserved only for for internal teams. Um, it just tends to be those those kind of businesses that have have already committed to yeah. you know development in house. Um, that. You know, want that kind of solution um at least right now um that's kind of how i see it yeah i guess I, it makes it i guess the businesses we look at that go down the hellish route tend to be larger enterprise businesses in my in my experience anyway and a lot of them tend to have that in-house dev team now part of me wonders when the decision is being made about which way to go and platform whether or how much of that is developer-led in the fact that oh this is shiny and new and, you know, we know what developers are mm. like and you know we've, got, we've obviously got a whole team of them like they like to work on different Scandalous things oh <laughs> well, yeah I, I just wonder how much of it is like oh it's, it's the same as like you know an it manager wants to implement this brand new tech or vrp i wonder how much of it is like oh this tech's new i want to work with it because it's going to create some new I'm, I'm bored of working on xyz magenta i've been working on magenta for 10 years now i want to do something shiny and new so i, I wonder again if the business we tend to have got those teams in-house and I guess they're more capable. It makes Headless more accessible to those businesses because they've got that in-house team. I wonder if that's potentially a factor as well. Yeah, uh, and they've got like yeah, they've got the time to to experiment with it. Whereas you know, we're, our, our teams are m- much more likely to be focused on you know we've got we've got a project. Let's let's work on it, and it's um, much more likely that people have come to us already have decided that they they want the econ platform. And it's you know I think it's fair to say, given like what we've talked about here, is that there's not always a strong enough driver um, to to go um, headless. And so even if there's a discussion there, you know quite often it, we can go kind of move away from from that decision mm. um so that, that that's kind of how we've we've seen it so far okay i want to focus sort of in the last sort of final few minutes around sort of potentially the risks of headless trying to talk the project approach we talked about some of the i feel like this podcast has been really negative towards headless and, and this is i guess more of it against a negative point but i want to kind of highlight some of the challenges i guess this is more about getting part of the reason we're talking about this podcast today and, and headless is the fact we want to open our kind of customers and retailers eyes to kind of what's involved with headless right so we need to kind of talk about what are the potential pitfalls of going down this route so you know if we talk about before, seo and performance were two things in e-com manager will get judged on so i want to talk about seo specifically and you know how does SEO get affected by a headless build? So I guess is that that's potentially one risk in it, or is it a risk? And any other kind of other things you can think about if, in terms of risks to the business of going down this particular route? Yeah, certainly. Um, so I think from an SEO perspective, like like any project, SEO is going to be paramount, and you're going to want people like a technical SEO person to understand what your requirements are um, and kind of verify kind of the the project approach um, as it kind of comes closer to launch. Um, I think historically. Kind of one of the challenges with single page applications and going headless is um, the more that you do in JavaScript to show content. So if like all of your you know, product data, product name and price mm-hmm. and things like that, things that you want uh, indexed by the search engines, if that is not in the HTML that is served by, uh, yeah, I won't go into details. If it's not in the HTML then and it's created by the JavaScript, then while Google and other search engines say that they will index that, 
there's you know there's a risk that the JavaScript breaks and they can't, mm-hmm. or there's um, at the very least there's kind of they've they've said that there's a, there's a delay, so it might take a few more days for your content to be to be indexed. So I think, you know, while you certainly can have like a good um, a good SEO from a headless site, I think again there's there's always like another layer of concern that perhaps you wouldn't have done yeah. um, if you hadn't gone that route. Um, but there's certainly like solutions to this and it's not something to necessarily be kind of scared about or, or push you away from headless. I think certainly that, um, as the headless and single page applications have developed, there's almost like a, you know, th- that community has seen its own trend away from doing quite so much kind of in the browser, like in JavaScript and, and doing a bit more um, kind of server side um, so that some of that HTML is generated um, and provided to the customer. It can be put on CDN, so then it benefits from yeah, a, sure. a, a performance point of view. And the you know the critical content that you want to be um, indexed by search engines is it's then there straight away. Um, and anything done in, in JavaScript is more there to add flourish and <laughs> dynamism to to the site. Okay, so there's I guess with that there's always a risk. Even if you know we do site migrations all the time, actually there's always a risk moving from one sort of architecture to another. I guess it's about how you're handling it and approaching the right way. Then and it's again you said there's things with headless that can potentially get around or uh, help you out with that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, precisely. And then in terms of other risks, um, again, <laughs> not trying to be too negative. I think I think this episode is more about being honest. Just, yeah, just open and just going into it with your eyes wide open about um, you know, the, the situation. There is there's some some things to consider. Um, I think the other thing for me is is then like what approach from a kind of technical point of view do you go with headless? Like if you're using a library, I mentioned like React and Vue or you know, possibly heard of some of the the libraries around like Vue Storefront mm-hmm. or Next.js. Um, if you, if and when you choose some of those technologies, um, developers then uh, and agencies will have experience with you know, some of those technologies, but you know, never, no one has uh, a lot of experience with all of them. And so, I think one of the things that you know we face um, and that the industry faces is that once you um, pick one of those, when you then come to say perhaps move agency, um, you're then also sort of narrowing down like your your field of potential <laughs> potential people that you could work with um or at least you know your, your typical way of when in the past has been okay i'm i'm a um, i've got i'm on magento and i want to go and find another magento agency so it's sort of very clear on who to approach whereas now if you've got magento and you know next.js or you've got big commerce and view storefront then you know, you've got to, you would prefer to find someone that has experience with yeah, both sure, of those. Yeah. And so, you know, naturally the, your potential suitors have <laughs> um, yeah, shrunken somewhat. So I think that's kind of one of the the things that I can see happening that is, it leads to a bit, just a bit of a tricky, tricky situation. And then when you, when you do come to move or if you've got an internal team, you want to hire developers, like who, who are you looking for? Um, and so certainly one of the ways that we're thinking about it is like, where, where is the community? Where is the kind of the largest group? Um, so that we can kind of um, kind of commit to and know that we're in in good company. I think is is one way to is one way to think about it and not be too um, niche and sort of like you know, do everything your own way. Um, and so that it's very or not very hard, but it's then harder to either find a replacement, whether it be from an agency or a um, um, or a team like internal team perspective. Um, and that like I guess to a certain degree goes to the framework as well like it like a like choosing an e-commerce platform or any other third sure. party you're you're committing to a framework and, and hoping that it like sticks around um as well so i think that's another risk that i'd probably call out i feel like i need to quit this job and go and train to be a react developer i might have <laughs> guaranteed for a job for the next few years it sounds yeah. like i'm definitely gonna get my kids into doing some of this uh, set for life um 
Okay, cool. I think we've covered quite a lot. Again, again, this was all about opening people's eyes to headless. Like we said, it wasn't necessarily just a diss on headless. I think we've we know there's definitely some benefits to going down that route. Um, it's just again approaching it, like I said, with your eyes wide open. So, I guess just sort of before we wrap up, then um, any final thoughts from you in terms of um, piece of advice for any kind of retailers or merchants or recon managers or whoever it is listening to this to about to maybe embark on a headless project or someone that someone that's considering it? What kind of piece of advice would you offer? Yeah. I think to, to, to end on like a, a somewhat positive note, I do think it's you know, the headless and the opportunities with it is exciting. Like it does kind of create a larger toolbox of what you can achieve. Um, um, it's just there's then more to, to consider as you go about that project. So I think, you know, when you're evaluating headless, like it's like, you, like we've been discussing, there's there's these things that we want to consider. And I think for me, one of the reasons why I like the, the Nokia example is just going back to what problem are you solving? As I mentioned earlier, mm. I think that's the most important one. And because then that's when the kind of the interesting conversations happen. So, oh, okay, page performance is, is the problem. Let's like dive into kind of what the current situation is to figure out, you know, um, what we can do on your next project or when, on your rebuild or on, on your current site to improve the current situation. Or perhaps there's another way of of achieving the same goal and not choosing sort of technology for out of the fear or out of, you know, for the wrong reasons. Um, if you're choosing headless for the right reasons, then, you know, that's exciting and great. And you're, you're going to have a, an, um, a brilliant project at the end of it. Um, so for me, it's, yeah, do, as we've been discussing, do your due diligence, understand um, what you're actually looking to, to get out of it um, so that you're avoiding disappointment um, um, at the end. And I think the last comment I mentioned earlier as, as well, but is about, is about those risks. And so, having that discussion with all of your partners, mitigating those risks and making sure you've got a bit of, you know, any project is uh, squeezed, but make sure you've got a bit of time um, at, at, towards the end for those those things that crop up during the course of the project, because, you know, just kind of being honest, it is, it is a, a new approach. It's probably, you know, for many people it will be the first time they've ever kind of rebuilt their site on a, on a headless approach. So there's mm -hmm. going to be things that you, you kind of didn't realize were the way they were. And so you want to kind of leave room for time, uh, time for that. That's great advice. I guess one thing, the last thing I'd add to that is that if you, if possible, if you're I'm thinking about embarking on a project, like I had this project, is go and try and speak to other retailers that have been down that route. You know, if you're working with the commerce platform, it'd be commerce tools, become a Shopify, whatever, speak to the, the platform themselves and try and get to speak to somebody else that's gone down it because it's no better, you know, experience than hearing what somebody else has done and learning, learning from them. And we always get customers, you know, to go and check us out in terms of, you know, our work, et cetera. So for me, there's no other reason why if you're going to go down this route, try and understand what everyone else has been through. Because again, so there might be some learnings from that as well. So, um, but I think that's a good place to end, Tom. Um, it's been really great to have you on yeah cheers enjoyed it i think you have earned your right to be the second best robot from space free after that so for the contribution today so thank you um Privileged. it's been really good uh but that's it for now uh thank you for listening um stay safe take care and we'll catch you on the next one You've been listening to Spacebar, a podcast brought to you by Space48. We're a UK leading CX and e-commerce platform specialist. If e-commerce content's your thing, then please be sure to subscribe to hear more. Do you like what you've heard or is there room for improvement? Please leave us a review and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.